I'm always so excited to share, and especially for some reason this time, um, the Lord just, it was like he was typing. I'm not a typist, and so it takes me a long time to type up my, my les lesson. I usually write it out first, and then I, you know, put it on the computer. But this time the Lord was just pouring into me, and um, I love that um, when I actually sat down to, to do the, the lecture. Um, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And um, if I was going to title my message, it would be Love from a Pure Heart, a Good Conscience, and Sincere Faith. Um, you know, Lynn is still writing our lessons, and she always does such a great job. But I just, this time, I just felt like she did such a great job of guiding us through um, the, the chapter and telling us the who, what, and where of this book that I'm actually just going to jump right into the applications that I saw as I did my study. Um, this letter not only contains instruction to young Timothy, but to all believers. We can learn much about how we are to conduct ourselves as Christians by putting what we know and what we believe into practice, right? Our, our lesson, or Lynn, put it this way, what we believe will be reflected in our behavior. Um, last week, Carrie gave us a, a good uh, intro, pretty much about how to study the Bible. And she gave us some instruction about guarding our time, guarding our minds, and guarding the method that we use as it pertains to the study of God's word. If you hadn't recognized it before, did you notice that this week, when you did your study, how important that guarding really is? Um, every time I went to actually sit down and do my lesson for this teaching and even just doing my lesson, I was interrupted. <laughs> the phone would ring or it would ding, you know, and I was waiting to hear something about from my mom. And so I, you know, was like, oh, I've got to figure out if that was my mom. Um, and I notice that I often allow time bandits to steal, you know, the best of me. They just get the best of me. Someone calls, maybe instead of letting it go to voicemail, I just decide, okay, I have to answer it. And I've noticed that I really do allow other people to schedule my days more often than I want to. Well, guarding my mind is just as hard. <laughs> I told my group last week that you know, I can walk into the kitchen and forget what I was going in there for, but yet when I sit down to do my study, I remarkably remember everything I'm supposed to do. And that is not a good thing. <laughs> I love Carrie's instructions about guarding our methods, too. She made a point about not running to a commentary to do your study, or even reading the notes if you have a study Bible, but to really read the passage and hear from God what he has for you. Um, I was thinking, have you ever been in a group and you know you have your answer to your, your question, you know the lesson, and you think, I, I must have the wrong answer. Well, there are wrong answers to our questions. You know, some people say, oh, there's no wrong answer. Well, there are some wrong answers. But I think for the most part that God, you hear from God in your situation. He might have an answer for you that no one else, you know, had that, that circumstance involved in, in this, at this time. But 
it also is great to hear how the Lord is using you and maybe someone else in the group does have that same circumstance. So don't be afraid to share something when it's just, you know, something you thought, well, I'm not sure about this. Hearing from God is the most important part of your study time with him. I also like that Carrie mentioned that we should have as our goal when we do our study to learn one thing about God and how to apply it. So here is what God spoke to me about this week. In chapter 1, verse 5, it says, The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So what command is Paul talking about? Paul had charged Timothy with guarding the faith of the Ephesian church. He was to command certain men not to teach false doctrine. These were men that were caught up in myths and old traditions, mysticism and genealogies. They were more devoted to their own thoughts and their own opinions than the gospel of Christ Jesus. We see that so much today, I mean, who doesn't want to air their opinion politically, academically, and more and more even in our churches. We even see it in, on a, a personal level with social media. Uh, you know, we get impressed by how many likes we have or how many friends we have. Um, even last Friday when Nazareth was here, I don't know if you were here, but he mentioned that he would appreciate it if we liked his page. And it wasn't because of what he wanted out of it, but um, that's how people, when he's trying to book a gig, they look and see how many likes he has. So it's, it's important. Um, so we read in verse 13 that Paul, um, or I'm sorry, um, I often wonder exactly why false teachers do what they do. They're leading so many people astray with their corrupt teaching. It's like, why do they do that? Are they evil? Do they somehow get a charge out of deceiving people? Or are they themselves deceived? Maybe they're just ignorant of what they're doing. I don't want to believe that a pastor or teacher would deliberately lead their followers astray. I really don't. But some, I'm sure, are under the sway of Satan, being used by the enemy. Some are unbelievers themselves and are eager to just make a name for themselves. They spout teachings on abundance, or they speak only of love, never mentioning God's wrath for those who don't accept that they are a sinner and they have a need of a Savior. Now we read in verse 13 that Paul was such a man. Even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, Paul says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. I believe many false teachers are ignorant and needs God's mercy to fall upon them. We can lift them up in prayer. We can also do as Paul commanded Timothy to do. We are to lovingly exhort those who teach false doctrine. That's not to say we bring up every little disagreement. We keep to the basics, and the basics is the glorious gospel of the blessed God that Paul, how Paul puts it. And you know what else Paul says about that? That he has entrusted that good news to Timothy. But ladies, I want you to open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 
And I want you to look at verse 11. It says, The glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. He's saying Paul, but he wants Timothy to know that it's entrusted to him. And it's entrusted to you, too. So my Bible says, which he entrusted to me, and me, Larie. So I want you to put your name there. We have been commissioned to make the gospel known just as Paul and Timothy were. We've also been commissioned to love others. If we truly love others, we will want the best for them. We will want others to know Jesus, and we will want believers to reflect what they believe. We have to ask ourselves, am I reflecting Jesus? Am I helping others to know him? How can I help those who are being led astray to know God and to believe the true gospel? Well, Paul called it love from a pure heart. It has everything to do with your motive. And I just want to tell you a little story. It might be kind of simple, but years ago when I was a newlywed, I worked with a gal, and she had this reputation of being an amazing cook. She called herself, you know, a great cook. Um, she often brought baked goodies to the office, and she would share with us. And we would all, always ask for recipes, you know how women are. Well, she always would say, oh, I forgot to bring it, or, oh, you know what, I can't find that recipe. And it really would make me mad, but there was this one apple cake that was to die for. And so I just decided to be relentless. I did not let her get away with it. So she finally brought me the, the recipe, and I was so excited. I was planning a dinner party, and I thought, oh, I'm going to make that apple cake for dessert. Well, I baked it according to the recipe, and it was a disaster. In fact, I had to send my husband out to buy a dessert. So not only did I waste my ingredients, my time, but we had to spend money on a dessert. And as newlyweds, you know, there's not a lot of money there. Um, I was devastated that something was wrong with me. So the next week, I told my friend what happened, and she said, oh, well, you must have done something wrong. So I thought, okay, now. I do hate to bake because I don't like to measure. I like to cook. You know, you can always kind of shift recipes and add and subtract things. But baking's like a science. So I remembered back to home ec, and I painstakingly did everything, you know, do the thing and make it straight across and all this stuff. I did it exactly as she had written it, and I got the same ooey-gooey result as I had the first time. So when I told my friend, she said, well, maybe I left something out. <laughs> yes. She gave me the recipe again weeks later, and I happily baked the third cake, because there was a little difference. But it, too, was a waste of my time and ingredients. And I finally figured out, well, I'm just a horrible baker, and I left it at that. Kind of. Just a sideline, I did finally get the recipe from a friend in Arizona one time, and it's a wonderful cake. I love it. <laughs> but did Dorothy deliberately give me wrong directions? I believe so. And she didn't want others to share her glory as a good cook. I found out later that I was not the only one 
that had requested recipes and then fail to make them right. And what was bad is I thought she loved me. She was a Christian, and at the time I was not. She had told me that she loved me, but it was not from a pure heart. I know it's just a little thing, but she was more concerned about her reputation as a cook than her reputation as a Christian. I recently got a devotion online about reputation versus character. We often worry about our reputation more than we should. Rather than being concerned with a clean conscience, which produces godly character. Reputation is what others think about us. Character is what God knows to be true about us. He goes on to say, reputation can be a positive or negative exaggeration about us. Reputation is affected by having a clean conscience and a godly character, not by dwelling on what people think about you but how God views you. Character is who we are when no one is looking, and it stems from the condition of the heart. He says, it seems pretty easy to get these virtues mixed up, so how do we ensure we get them in proper order? By dwelling first on a clear conscience before God. If we do, if we do that, godly character will follow, and your reputation will fall into place. Well, Paul instructs Timothy and us to love from a pure heart. Imagine young Timothy being in charge of the church and having to deal with elders of the church, not just the elders in name, but they were all probably older than Timothy. And some of them were teaching false doctrine. They were looking out only for themselves. Yet Paul knew that Timothy was a man of character loving God and loving others from a pure heart, and he was certain that Timothy could and would carry out God's calling. Well, what about our conscience before God? Paul speaks of the law and using it properly. Listen how the Living Bible puts it. Laws are good when used as God intended. They are for sinners who hate God and that contradict the glorious good news of our blessed God. The laws are therefore to convict, not condemn. Are we under the law? No. As believers, we are under grace. Paul makes that clear in his own testimony. He says the grace of our Lord was poured out on him abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul reminds us that Christ came to save sinners, something the law could never do. We are saved by grace so that no one should boast. And actually, how can we boast when we can't even keep the law? Christ has come to complete the law. He has summed up all of the law for his followers in this, that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and strength and to love others as ourselves. And when we fail to do so, all we need to do is confess our sin, repent, and he will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's then that we once again have a good conscience. The last point I see in Paul's command is that we are to have a sincere faith. 
You've probably heard this before, but I love this reminder that the word sincere is a term used in pottery. A vase or a pot that has no cracks is considered sincere. Sin means without, and seer is a fault or a deceit. What would happen is the potter would bring his wares to market, and some might crack in transit. The potter then would fill the crack with wax and paint over the wax to hide the flaw. This would be fine, I suppose, for carrying cold water, but it could not withstand any heat. It was a deceitful practice. You would only want a pot that was sincere without wax. In today's world, we often come across and maybe even practice the same thing. We know we're human. We're all cracked pots. <laughs> we prone to wander, filling our lives with worldly things instead of the things of God. When we fill our lives with wax, we fail. We must fill our cracks with Jesus because he can stand the heat. Webster's Dictionary defines sincere as wholehearted, heartfelt, and genuine in feeling without any falsifying embellishment or exaggeration. Wholehearted suggests sincerity and earnest devotion without reservation or misgiving. Joshua 24, 14 says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. In other words, revere God. Remember all he has done for you. Remember his promises and serve him alone wholeheartedly. 2 Corinthians 1.12 says, and this is Paul speaking, Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you in holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. To me, this implies that we cannot live godly lives without God's grace, which he pours out abundantly when we come to him and each time we ask for forgiveness. Philippians 9, or 1, 9 through 10 says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may able, be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So ladies, my prayer for you today is that your love from a pure heart grows every day as you spend time in God's word, that you are able to discern God's will, his purpose, and his plan for your life, that your reputation will be based on your godly character as you reflect what you believe, and that your life will be without deceit, having a sincere faith. Fill your life with Christ. You know, I, I came across a, a devotion about having your, your light shine through the cracks that we have as humans. And that there's actually a little devotion that's on the back table. I don't know if there's a, enough, so if you need it, I can, I can print more. But we want to fill our life with Christ because he can stand the heat. Let his, shine, his light shine through any cracks you might have. And to God be all praise and glory. 
Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for each lady here, for each, every minute that they have spent with you as they did their lesson. And now, Lord, I pray that we would go into our groups and that we would continue to hear from you, from each other, and from your Holy Spirit, Father, as we invite you in. Thank you so much for loving us, for coming to save us. And Father, we pray that in everything that we do, we would glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.